Welcome to the Lucha Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, Elijah Kang, a sound designer by day, but by night I am a pro wrestling connoisseur, the proud owner of two kittens, and the host of this, the Lucha Lounge Podcast. This podcast is all about giving interesting people an unfiltered form to share their ideas and stories with everyone out there. So thanks for listening. Here we go. On the 12th episode of the Lucha Lounge podcast, I talk to a professional MMA fighter. We talk about her story, how she got into MMA, as well as what it's like being an up-and-coming fighter. So without any further ado, please welcome my guest, Alana Olive-Smith. Boom, and we're live. Alana Olive-Smith, welcome to the Lucha Lounge podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I am really excited to talk to you, um, as you could probably tell with my stupid grin. Um, but I'm a huge fan of MMA. Um, not a lot of people know, but I also have another podcast called the MMA Lunch Break with a bunch of buddies. And all we do is talk about MMA. So getting to talk to an actual pro fighter, an actual uh, MMA athlete is a huge treat for me. So I'm really excited. Well, I referred you to the uh, other people in my gym since, again, I've only had the one pro MMA fight. So I, I'm just trying to set your expectations real low so I can hurdle that bar. That does not matter to me because you're as close to it as I can get without getting punched in the head. <laughs> so I appreciate that. So, yeah, I'm a huge MMA fan and I really got into it like when I was in my later years of high school. We used to get these old VHS tapes of Pride in Japan and man, those were like the glory days of MMA, I feel like. We were watching guys like Vanderlei Silva fight Rampage and Kazushi Sakuraba. Yes. Man, all the, the, all the legends. Hunter. Yeah, the Gracie Hunter. And then uh, uh, not Hoist, but Hicks and Gracie fighting in there. Man, there was Dom, Dom Fry. As far as Vanderlei Silva, I think that Chris Cyborg used to fight a lot like him. But I'm really glad to see that she's improving as far yes. as like being more technical. Yes, uh, so that's like, cause I don't, I don't like it when it's just like, well, I'm, I'm tough. I can take these punches. Mm -hmm. Yes. But, but don't though. Yeah. Don't do that. And that's one of the things that we're seeing in MMA right now. People are pushing that old school style away, the bite down on your mouthpiece and like swing for the fences. Every once in a while you do see that. Well, as soon as you said that, I was just thinking of the Max Holloway. Yeah. Yeah. Throw we're down. Both pointing down I at just the ground. watched that this morning with, uh, Diego, yeah. Diego Sanchez. Right? And, uh, what's that, that Russian, uh. Zabit, yeah, where the guy tried to get him to do that. He's like, and he was like, why, why nah, would I do that? Nah. He's like, you know, I'm just going to keep, I am super long. I'm just yeah. going to keep doing this. Zabit is a ninja, man. That was like that trip that he did yeah. in that fight that we're talking about. That was pretty great. Yeah, he's a ninja. I, I can't wait. He's um, the guy that fought him. We just talked about this. I forget his name. That, that Russian guy, I think, is fighting this weekend. Um, but I don't care about that. I want to see Zabit fight again. Yeah. I want to see Zabit fight Yair Rodriguez. Oh, that would be good. Also, with the Korean zombie, it's like, okay, cool. You want to give a good show, but I know why. <laughs> there and was it, one second left. That like, hurt so bad because he was up on all the scorecards too. It's like, like congratulations to Yair. Yes, you timed that perfectly. Good yeah. job. But you know, it's like all right. Man. And I didn't even get to see it. I just saw the highlights. So I haven't seen the whole fight. Yeah, it I know was it's a, supposed to be a good fight. It was a war. They, I mean, they're, they were hamburger after that, but. I don't know. As yeah. far as like fights go, you know, Roy Jones Jr. in boxing, that's what I like to look at. Like him in the 90s where it's just like he's toying with them. Speaking of Roy Jones Jr., you know the guy that played the- Michael B. Jordan? Yeah. Are we talking about that? Because that's dumb and neither one of them should do it. N neither one of them should do it. But if I'm putting money down, I will never bet against Roy Jones Jr., man. That guy is one of my favorite boxers. I would bet against him if it was like an actual boxer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know in his prime like Absolutely. if he was like you know what i'm gonna take on terence crawford nah. i'm gonna get down to terence crawford's weight and take him on i'd be nah. like this you don't there's no need to do that yeah i really want like a shirt or a tank top from him though but i can't i can't find anything from roy jones jr <laughs> i think you can get um stuff from uh what is that uh, the roots of fight no i looked it up and there's like no roy jones jr stuff on there what? they had something like a long time ago but it's, it's not like discontinued or yeah something. so i've got like a duran tank top from them but oh, i want awesome yes really liked his first fight with uh with leonard mm. i have the i have the mike tyson one the dynamite kid one before yeah anyways um wow we got sidetracked real quick but that's that's yeah. great <laughs> Th that's why you're here man you should yeah we should make this a regular thing anyways um so, yeah, back to how I got into it is just, you know, watching the old Pride tapes, watching like UFC 1, 
to like the really old ones where um, like that sumo guy got his teeth kicked out. The Hawaiian fella in yeah. UFC won. Yeah, and then the guy with the kar- the white guy with the karate pants kicked him in the head, and his like two of his teeth flew out. And yes, and this was, was when nuts. they didn't have the only rule is there's no rules, and we've got the guy in here to enforce the no rules. Yeah, jo- Big John McCarthy's still doing. He's uh, announcing for Bellator now, huh? Which is a great move because he's super eloquent. But um, yeah, that uh, that whole era of MMA, like I really fell in love with it. Um, and uh, I've been a fan ever since. And after you agreed to do the podcast. You know, I've been looking at your stuff. I looked up your jujitsu matches. I looked up your kickboxing stuff. And of course, you know, trying to find the footage of the the last fight that you were in, in Shogun fights. I couldn't find it, but I saw some of the footage. There's a highlight of like a couple seconds on the Baltimore Sun page. Like if you type in Shogun Fights 20 and go to video, then it'll show highlights. And I'm just like at the very beginning because that was the first fight. And they're like, okay, we got to start everything on time because it's going to be Connor versus Habib later. And That's everyone's right. going to want to go see it. So like after I did my fight, I didn't know anyone else on the card. So I was like, thank you all for coming out. Bye, and guys. then I left. So yes, I went back to my my hotel room, walked back to that, ate some of the cold Chinese food I had, drove home, drove out to the the Green Turtle. I was like, all right, great. I'm just going to go watch the fight. I'm going to sit here alone and watch the fight. And it was full up and I couldn't get in because I always get in there like at the prelims time. And at this point, they closed it out. So I ended up sitting on the sidewalk outside because they had uh, outward facing TVs. And then like the second the fight ended, I left. So I missed the whole jumping the cage thing. Oh my gosh, that was nuts. I was watching that. I was like, no, 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 no. And then it was like, I heard everyone going, (gasps) oh, As I left and I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll find out later. Yeah. It was cold. It was. was Yeah, that's crazy that you stood outside for that. But that was a great fight, too, though. Like we were talking with the guys on the lunch break and we're like, yeah, probably don't want to see that fight again because I think it'll be the same. There's no point. There's no point. It was more competitive with uh, Aya Kinta, who was a last minute replacement because he was able to stuff it, take him into later rounds, get him tired. And Uh he was able to actually, you know, do more striking as opposed to being afraid of the the takedown. Of the takedown which is how he landed the classic AKA overhand right. That was an amazing night. Anyways, okay, so we, we, keep, we keep getting sidetracked by, you know, historical moments in MMA. But what I want to ask you is, how did you get into MMA? Well, um, it sounds really nerdy to say Dragon Ball Z, but like I'd always come home from school and watch that stuff, you know, because I had Toonami and everything. So right. it's Dragon Ball Z, Yu Yu Hakusho, Cowboy Bebop. I'm super cool, yeah. guys. <laughs> Trigun, all that. Right, right. Anyway, so I'd come home, I'd watch all of that stuff, uh, and Batman, the animated series. Right, right. Obviously, the best one, the only one you need to watch. Yeah. And it was like, so I, I went to uh, martial arts classes nearby. Hmm. It was a Taijutsu academy, focusing on joint locks and strikes and stuff like that. Right. And I got a black belt in that at 17. But honestly, I don't really count it, because it's more of a McDojo sort of like, okay, well, you paid us and you did the recommended uh, you know number of attendance days, right. so you're so a black you belt now. It. So that didn't count so much, okay. but like, okay, went through all the school, still really liked martial arts, all the martial arts movies, all that stuff, uh, finished grad school. And that was around the time that Ronda Rousey was getting in it. So it was getting more open to women. I was like, great. Once I'm done with grad school, I can actually go back to, to training and stuff. I went to grad school up at uh, Bloomsburg University in Pennsylvania for instructional systems design. So I've got a master of science in instructional technology. That is Super surprising. It sounds real cool when I say it out long form like that. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So this was like when Ronda Rousey was getting into it and Dana White was like, you know what? Yes, I will let women in because oh, this is yeah. marketable. Because before they was like, I'm never, never going to let women in. Yeah. And before that, I was like, okay, well, there's still Invicta. There's still stuff I can mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Invicta is still a great organization. Yep. So as it got more open up, I was like, okay, great. Uh, once I go back home and get a job, then I'll be able to actually pay and get back into it doing this and I want to try and compete. I want to see how good I can get at this. I want to see like how high I can take it. When you jumped into it, because you said the last fight at Shogun Fights, that was your first MMA fight ever. Yes. Right. But before that, you've competed in kickboxing and jujitsu and all that stuff. So did you did you go to an MMA gym first or did you just start with jujitsu, start with kickboxing and then work your way up to it as you learn more of the the mixed part of the martial arts? Well, I went to a gym and I was like, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to get into pro fighting. Mm -hmm. Can you make that happen for me? And they're like, yes, yes, we can definitely come here. So I went there and I was there for like two years. I'm like, 
hey, hey, guys, you remember how I said this was the one thing that I wanted from you and mm-hmm. it's not happening? And then, like, I left for a number of reasons, but that being one of them was that they never delivered on what they said they would for me. And then I went to a different uh, martial arts-focused gym in the area. And I told them the same thing. Hey, I want to get into this. Is this something that you can do for me? And they said yes. And then they also pointed out, hey, we've got all of these all of these world champions in different you know disciplines. Anyway, so yeah, I did get to work with like world champions like Ang Lan Song we were talking about yeah. before we started recording, the, uh-huh. uh, the Burmese Python. At so a he's a nice guy. Yes. I knew him before he was the champion well, I knew, when he was on the come up to that. And I actually got a picture with him and waited to post it. And it's like, I was waiting to post this until you became the champion. And now... Now it's done. Congratulations, coach. Nice, nice. Yes. And I got to, to work with some of the people uh, in Invicta and in the UFC. Like I've gotten to spar with uh, Sarge Eubanks before. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Shauna Dobson. I know you're going to have her on later. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sajara Eubanks has a hard time making weight. Yeah, that's come up multiple times because she had to pull out of one fight and in the last UFC she was on she missed weight and won so I think I think she either needs to get her weight cut under control or move up there's no 130 but there's a 135 I think yeah. she's at 125 right yeah now. so she she might have to fight up but then she might be too short then that's a that's a tough one then you have to fight she is but she's got you know like world-class grappling so right, you know right. jujitsu also it'd be great to fight cyborg like, yeah, I would do it. That's the money fight right there. For, yes. For women, that's the money fight, right? Yes. Like, I could fight at 115 because I came in under for my last fight uh-huh. at, uh, at Shogun. So it was a 125-pound fight with one-pound allowance because it's not like it's a championship fight. And I came in at 123, and the girl I was fighting came in at 124. Okay. So you guys both came under. Yeah. You know, now that Thanksgiving is, is over, I guess <laughs> I'll get back in shape. <laughs> um, <sighs> it's so yeah, I, so did I, and I was like, got to get back on it. Gotta it wasn't even like I felt good doing it. It was more like I it's, have a limited window where I can eat all of this food, and I'm going to eat it. I'm no longer enjoying it, but this is still going to happen. It, it's like a commitment. You have this play, and then you have to have everything. Anyways. Exactly. Not going to enjoy it. There's no point. Ugh. So um, you mentioned that you were kind of like inspired by like Japanese anime and all the, the martial arts that you see in, uh, in those cartoons and stuff. But like, did you have like a switch moment where you're like, I want to be a pro fighter? Because a lot of kids grow up watching cartoons like that. And I did as well. Mm-hmm. You know, what pushed you over the edge to take it to a professional level and to a more serious place? Because tons of kids watched, you know, Dragon Ball into karate classes. Yes. How come they're not karate world champions? You know what I mean? Like, was there something that kind of pushed you to that direction? Well, I'll have to say that I always wanted to be the best that I could be at it. Like, I've always enjoyed it when people look like they're making it look effortless. Mm. Like, they're making it look like the other person shouldn't even be in there with them. So that level of just skill is always what I've aspired to Mm. in that. So I'm not sure that there was really a switch moment as far as, okay, these people are shooting energy beams and yelling for like three episodes and not moving. You could literally move or just like hit them and not <laughs> let them charge up, but fine. So it wasn't so much that as mm-hmm. it was more just a personality thing where it's like, I want to try and be the best that I can be at this. Right. Or just see how, how good that I can do at this. Right, right. And it needs to be better than other people. It's not that I need to be the best, except that it is. And I also need to be better than the people, the around, people me. around you. And I'm not. So there's a, there's a long way to go. Yeah. Like I'm, I got a lot to learn. I think that's great though. I mean, just to watch the snippets of your career that I could dig up online at first, you're, you know, you're doing jujitsu and then you're, you're also doing kickboxing and you have kickboxing with the headgear and later yelling, you don't have it. So it's awesome to see that progression into finally into your pro fight. We'll get into that later, but, um, what is life like for a pro fighter? Pretty much the same as for other people, but the day is longer. So let's say that I get into work at 6 and I get off work at uh, 3, 3.30. So leading up to my last fight, that was sort of my schedule. Get into work at 6, get off at 3, 3.30, drive the hour to the gym, and then you know from uh, 4.30 until 10 or 11 at night, be at the gym before I drive home the 30, 45 minutes, shower, throw some stuff in the laundry, and get ready for the next day. So it's not a lot of sleep. That's crazy. What gym do you train at? I train at uh, Team Lloyd Irvin, which is up in Camp Springs. In a training session, what does that look like for you leading up to fight camp or something like that? Yeah, well, uh, any sort of typical day. I'm there from like uh, Sunday to Friday and I try to take Saturdays off so I can have one day to get my chores done and rest. And uh, 
So it's different schedules on different days, but typically there will be a jujitsu class and then there will be a Muay Thai class and, you know, I'll, I'll run. For the for the cut? Yeah. Now, some people say they get a runner's high and I have never had that happen. One time the bank made an error with my money while I was away at a hotel for work and I couldn't do anything about it until like later. And I got so frustrated. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go down to the hotel gym and run and then maybe I'll be too tired to be angry. And I wasn't. (laughs) All right. Those things shut you down when you keep going for a while because they assume other people want to run. There was no one else there, but like ran over, I think, six or seven miles. And I was like, okay, we're turning this off. And I got the treadmill turned off. The treadmill turned itself off. What? I think it does that when one person just keeps going on it. I don't, I don't Hotel know. gyms are the worst. Anyway, so still, still angry. It didn't work. It did not work at all. So you just train mainly jujitsu and then Muay Thai. You don't train like uh, traditional wrestling or... Oh, I train wrestling as well. I've, uh, I've started on, on that and definitely needs a lot of work. Pretty much everything I do needs a lot of work. I feel like that's the mentality people need to have when they jump into combat sports. I mean, you even see pro fighters. We were talking about this before. Like some people, their style never changes with the times. And like with developments in MMA, you can't just bite down on your mouthpiece and try to knock someone out when they're dancing around and keeping you at length and stuff like that. You know, like the Korean zombie fight. Like that that's his style. And we were talking about it earlier. It's like, how long is that guy going to last? Like he's going to have CTE for sure. The yeah. way that he weathers punches, it's nuts. Hit and don't get hit is just a good saying for all combat sports. Right, you right. Shoot for that. Yeah. So do you spend a lot of time, I guess, not only with the physical training and, you know, the martial arts that you're developing, do you do any like mental training as well? Well, not so much. Like I'll watch highlights or videos of other people fighting and you know try and see oh yeah here's this technique that we worked on in class that's working at a high level it's clearly effective I should try and incorporate this more but it's more just like looking at what people are doing and trying to get a sense of things that way as far as sort of a mental aspect it's more like I really don't want to let anyone down and also I want to perform to the level that I'm capable of that I know I'm capable of and you know just keep improving in this so that's sort of the mentality during the whole thing. Do you do you do any like visualization or anything like that? I know that there's a teammate of mine, Ricardo Mixco, who's in Lion Fights. Uh-huh. I think he just did a, a re-signing there, and he's uh, he's a Muay Thai fighter, and he does a lot of the the visualization stuff. So before my last fight, he sent me like something that he likes to listen to. So I listened to that. And that was fine, but it's not like a game changer for me. Right, right. But that's definitely something that works for him. In his first fight with uh, with Lion Fight, he was. Put against, uh, he was the heavy underdog, mm-hmm. and he took that guy out in the first round. And in his second fight, he took the guy out in the second round. Oh, wow. So it works for him. It definitely works for him. People got to do what works for them. Okay, so this is kind of like a, like a broad question, but like when you're in an MMA fight, right? So like in, in the last fight that you were in, in, um, in Shogun fights, like how does that feel? Like, how does it feel? Like, I've never been in that kind of a situation. And so I think it would be really great if you could kind of, like, help us jump into that world just for a little bit. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, I think it's going to be different for everybody, but it starts off with the Mm weigh-in. And for whatever reason, that's, like, later later on in the day as opposed to right at the beginning of the day Mm -hmm. so that you can, you know, eat and recover. And I think there's some sort of a commission rule along along those lines. I'm not sure. I was sort of cheesed about it. So right. I didn't really focus so much when they're saying, oh, yeah, this is we have to do it this way. Huh. Because but, in the UFC, they weigh in in the morning and then they you have the whole day and then you fight the next evening. Yes. Which would be better as right. opposed to the 6 p.m. weigh in that happened uh, for this. And then you fought on the same night. No, 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 6 p.m. the day before, oh, and then oh, we okay, fought, okay. They fought the next day. Oh, okay, cool. So it was, I think, like the standard 24 hours. But, gotcha, gotcha. You know, it just feels longer because it's at night. Right. So it starts off with that, and of course you're hungry and thirsty and tired because you don't know if their scale is going to be heavy, you don't want to come in over or anything after all of that. What does that mean, scale being heavy? Well, uh... I got super paranoid and brought a scale from my house into the hotel room so that I could keep standing on it throughout the day leading up to the weigh-in and check and just have like little sips of water for the mummy mouth. And, you know, so I was checking on that and I was like, okay, well, this is an analog scale. I They're going to use a digital scale. I don't know if their scale is going to be like coming up with the same numbers as mine. Oh, I see, I see. 
So with uh, some of the Muay Thai fights that I've done before, some of those competitions, people would be saying, yeah, their scale is heavy or something. I'm, I was weighing a pound less when I, when I was in my place. And then at that level, like a pound makes all the difference. If yeah. You're over. Yes. Man. But like we said, I was three pounds under where I needed to be so I could probably. You probably drink a little bit more water. Yeah, that yeah. just go down. So like when you're cutting the weight, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you said that you came in, you know, three pounds under. So are you doing a lot of weight cutting or? Yeah. So leading up to this, I'm always paranoid about missing weight or anything. Yeah. Because as, as a pro fighter or, you know, even not being a pro fighter, I was always like, well, I have to make weight. I said I was going to make this weight. I have to make this weight so mm-hmm. I can do it. It's not fair if I don't make the weight. Plus, you know, you're, that's part of your fight commitment. If you don't do that, then it's sort of disrespectful to your opponent, I feel. So for like uh, two-ish months leading up to that, I mm-hmm. was doing a strict diet and the six-day-a-week training with extra running on. What is the What does your diet look like? Well, um, it's like eating six times a day of uh, smallish portions uh-huh. and you know just uh, certain groupings of like, okay, you need this much fat, you need this much protein, you need this much whatever. Right. Do you have a dietitian to, that sets that up for you, the meal prep, or is that you know, all you? That would be terrific if I could afford that or have someone like make that for me so I don't have to do it because it is a huge pain to weigh things out by the ounce like yes I need three ounces of this and you have to like portion everything out into into boxes Mm -hmm. and it's awful I hated it and I'm gonna have to do it again (laughs) it's not ideal but um yeah, I had I had some of the ladies at the gym asking me, "Oh, what did you do for a diet?" And I was like, "Okay, well, I went to this specific website and put in, okay, I want to weigh this much." Right. So it was uh, fitnessvt.com. So you're portioning out all your food and it's it's basically a caloric deficit, right? Yeah, cuz it'll even say, "Okay, this is how many calories you're getting today." Mm-hmm. I try not to look at that because it's very depressing. Oh, so that's a Snickers and a half. But Great. then but then you're doing a full day of training. Yeah. Full day of, you know, all that jujitsu, kickboxing, Muay Thai and sparring, I'm assuming. How yeah. does sparring look like for you? Uh, sparring for this, since it was my first MMA fight, they were incorporating like takedowns and getting me to work on my wrestling as well as my stand up and mm-hmm. putting all of that together. I was working with uh, with people at the gym for stuff like that. I got to work with the little tiny gloves that they use yeah, and the trying MMA to work gloves. on my defense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a that's one of the things I wanted to ask you in Muay Thai. You wear boxing gloves, right? Yeah. And then how was that transition when you came to the four-ounce MMA gloves? Well, I mean, it's different in terms of like how much force is is behind the punches. Well, obviously, it's going to hurt people more if I hit them with a four-ounce glove as opposed to the eights that you'd use for like a 125-pound female fight. Uh-huh. But one of the things with those gloves is you have to get used to like holding on to things and doing your grips and stuff for right. if you want to get a choke or, or stop a takedown. So you just need to start practicing in the gloves more because mm-hmm. it's more like bare paws. Yeah, because your fingers aren't like really... You don't have a lot of articulation in right. the joints, which, okay, no one's allowed to like grip your fingers and right. do single, single digit manipulation or mm-hmm. like uh, break a phalanges. Right. Or anything like that, uh-huh. but you know, it's it's uh, hooks not hands sort of thing. You got to uh-huh. get used to used to how you how you move them. Right. Well, that's that's one of the issues with with the UFC right now. Their gloves allow for fingers to be pointed straight out, which allows for a lot of eye pokes, especially you know, like guys like John Jones who find distance with their with their index finger. But then in Pride, the old Pride gloves have the curved. So there was a lot less eye pokes. I think I think Bellator uses the curved ones too. Yeah, I think they both use different gloves to to cut down on the eye poking. And right. whatever glove you end up, whatever organization you end up being in, whatever glove they use is just something that you have to adapt to. Right, right. You don't want to poke anyone in the eye. Like I'm not trying to blind anybody. No, no, for sure. Um, actually, the UFC has a new glove that they're developing to get rid of that. So that Reebok, they're making the glove, I guess. Anyways, well, I mean, they made the they made the uniforms. They made the, the Hunger uni- Games style introduction of the new uniforms. The uniforms were so bad in the beginning. Man, they had like misspelled names, and my favorite one was uh, Gilbert Melendez, and it said Gibbler. <laughs> that was the best one. What's nice is seeing the people with like the long Russian names, like uh, Zabit. It's like okay, they're going to be able to fit my name on there. It's going to be fine. Yeah, this font's all squashed together. Anyways. Um, as you're training, did you bring anybody in for sparring, like specifically to like kind of mimic your opponent or was it, was it like whoever's in the gym 
it and, was uh, whoever's in the gym and mm. whoever I could find because I couldn't really find a lot of information on my opponent. So it wasn't really something that I could uh, research a lot. So all I could do was be the best prepared that I could be. So you want to get to a level where it's like, well, I'm going to make you fight whatever game I want to fight. Mm. Would you say that you're more of like a pressure fighter then? Yeah, I'd say that's good to to start off with to begin with. I mean, definitely at a higher level, if someone's like an expert at the axe kick or, you know, something you want to be prepared for that and be mm-hmm. like, okay, well, this is their tell. They always do this. But, you know, right now while you're still developing in your game and in your skill set, you want to establish all of your, all of your stuff. Yeah. It is, it is sounding like you're considering yourself to be almost like a blank canvas and then you're just kind of building up what you want to be right now. There are a ton of people who are experts in things. I fully admit that I am very much not. And if anyone wants to help me out, I am more than willing to take that on and grateful for it. Well, you got to be open, right? You got to be open like that. It's uh, learning. Yeah. So all the training is done. All the weight cutting is done. You weigh in. And how, how does that feel like leading up to the actual fight? Well, uh, after weighing in, then you get back to your hotel room. You're like, okay, well, now I've got to try and put some of this weight back on Mm. without making myself sick because I haven't been eating or drinking anything today. And I need to rehydrate and refuel a little bit and get everything going back on. So, you know, you you refuel and you think, okay, well, I still want to win this. Basically, all the way leading up to the fight where people were like, are you excited about it? I'm like, I don't know. Ask me later. I can't think (laughs) about this right now. Like the entire time leading up to it was just like, I'm not, I'm not thinking about this right now. We will talk later. Right, right. So that, you know, that carries on even leading up to it. It's like, I will be excited about this maybe afterwards, mm-hmm. but like right now it's just a get it done sort of thing. And I don't know if that's going to be something that changes as you go through it or as you get more used to things mm-hmm. because I've had like uh, 11 amateur fights and, you know, the one pro fight. And for all of it, it's more like, you know, nervous, nervous, nervous. I will be excited afterwards. That's really weird how different fighters deal with that. You know, George St. Pierre, he is arguably maybe one of the greatest welterweights of all time. And he always says, I'm super sick backstage. I'm like so nervous. I'm like shaking. He's so scared and stuff like that. And then some guys are like, you know, super calm, super chill. Yeah, you know? like uh, Alex Caceres. Yeah, that guy, Bruce Lee. He's fighting soon, too. Yes, I he, mentioned that because I saw his name up. He's going to be fighting... Uh, Kron Gracie. It. Ice cream. Yeah, man. That guy is uh, Hicks and Gracie's son. Yes. And um, he's coming to the UFC. And you can the, see videos of him on the beach doing that Yeah, yeah, thing, thing with, with his stomach. stomach. Have you seen the, his documentary, Choke? I have not. You got to look that up. Yeah, all right. So, like, you know how, like, uh, especially with... Um, I mean, I get to recommend something too now after this. Oh, you can recommend whatever you want. Um, Remember when Connor started getting popular and they started following him around with cameras and stuff like that? Yeah, like Venice Beach and it's just him jumping on the pull-up bar. Because I remember like clips of that and the clip of the the Snoop Snoop Dogg. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like during that time when he started getting popular, there's this weird guy with the ponytail, Ido Portal. Mm -hmm. And he does this thing called human movement where they're like all flowing Diaz was like touch button the park, right? Yeah, that guy. And then people are like, oh, my gosh, this is like revolutionary. He's doing these movements and it's it's so like game changing. But like if you if you watch that documentary choke, mm-hmm. Hickson was doing that stuff way back then. He was implementing like human movement and like yoga and all this stuff into his training. And it's crazy how like people are like recently finding out about that. With Bruce Lee, you see him incorporating a bunch of different stuff. So it's not like it's anything new to incorporate, you know, build off a Wing Chun base into, okay, this isn't working. What can I incorporate here? Or, hey, this is really great. How do you do this sort of thing? It is mixed martial arts. Yes. You got to mix it up. Got to mix it up. Exactly. Get some Sambo in there along with your wrestling and your your jujitsu. Khabib has that shirt that says, if Sambo was easy, it would be called (laughs) jujitsu. I haven't seen the shirt. (laughs) He's just trolling people, man. But yeah, so... This is something, like I said, that people that don't have any experience with combat sports, this is like a a whole new world, you know, and you're telling this story. So as you're going out to the ring or Mm -hmm. to the, do they have a hexagon or do they have a- Yeah, it was a hexagon for this. I like hexagon, actually. Well, I mean, me too, I guess, (laughs) having been in the one, one time. Because Bellator has a circle, Mm -hmm. right? And, um, you know, the UFC has their octagon, but the hexagon- was at um, Golden Boy's first MMA when Chuck fought Tito Ortiz. Yeah, I didn't see that. Uh, don't 
You know, we don't need no, to see people, that. People keep saying how awful it was. So and, sad. you know, it's like you need to watch it based on that. I guess you could watch it, but I well, mean. Well, if I can just like find the a highlight, highlight that way, I don't. I'll, s- I'll send it to you later. I'll thank you. you thank you. Because um, I watched the, the Dada 5000 thing and oh, I did not need to see that. Yeah. No one needed to see that. Did you not work cardio at all, guys? I don't, was, I don't think so. That, I mean. That guy. That was not, that was not good. But yeah, so. Going back to the hexagon, I like the hexagon because there's more flat surfaces, so there's less pillars for you to see through. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so how did that fight go down? Well, um, I went in. It was two rounds. Uh, it was it was slated for three rounds. First round was started off with a lot of striking, and towards the end of that round, she took me down, and that's how we ended that round, with me mm-hmm. just defending from my back. And the second round, uh, again, all fights start standing, so it started off with more striking. Uh, she again went to take me down. I was able to reverse it and then finish with uh, ground and pound from the top. How does that feel, to smash someone like that? Um, yeah, fine. Like, what goes into your mind? Like, do you have any, like, you know, like, some some fighters are, like, very angsty, like, Nick and Nate Diaz are always like that. Yeah, I don't need to be mad at someone to Mm. fight them or hype myself up. I've never been mad at anyone that I fought. It's not like I know them. We've got no history or any sort of reason for me to be antagonistic towards you. We're both coming in there. We're both martial artists or striving to be. We're both working towards the same thing and trying to do the same thing, show off our skill sets and do the stuff that we learned in the gym. So it's not like, ooh, I hate you. You know, it's never, I hate you. It's more like, well, you've trained for this, you know, just as hard as me. Hopefully not just as hard as me. I hope that I've trained harder <laughs> than you, honestly. Right, right. But, uh, you know, I, I want to get in there and see what I can do and, you know, uh, finish the fight or, you know, win the fight. It doesn't have to be a knockout or anything like that. You mm-hmm. just want to go and, you know, show your coaches that you can do what they've been telling you to do. I don't see any reason for that. It seems entirely unnecessary. You're so cerebral with it, man. I mean, why would I be upset with them? I if guess, they're not there, then I don't get to do this. Right, right. That That's true. Yeah. You need a dancing partner. As exactly. they say in boxing, right? Yeah, tango. So do you have any fights coming up? Or are you planning to fight in the upcoming year? I'm hoping to have some stuff next year. So as we were talking about, I got to get out of turkey shape and back into, you know, fighting yeah, shape. Yeah. So I got to gotta start working towards that. Mm-hmm. But as far as like anything where it's like I know a date and time and opponent, no. No one tells me anything never know anything. Mm -hmm. And there aren't that many um, women MMA fighters. So I more just want to be ready so that I can go on a moment's notice. Since I was eavesdropping on your last show, thank you for the shout out to this show, by the way. (laughs) Since I was eavesdropping on your last show, you had had mentioned that Anderson Silva just happened to be in town for one fight and they asked him to fill in. Yeah, against And I want to be, you know, ready to go at any moment because there aren't that many women and I want to be able to say, you know what? Yes. Oh, there's a fight. Okay, I'm in. Let's do this because I'd like to get, you know, better. Yeah. I mean, the only way you're going to see if you're getting better at fighting is if you fight someone. Exactly. Yeah. So um, you mentioned like there's not a lot of women fighters, even with, you know, with Rousey and Cyborg and like there has been a real big, you know, surge of women fighters. There's a strawweight division. There's bantamweight division in the UFC. There's Invicta. A lot more female fighters in like the Asian leagues, like One FC and Ryzen and stuff. Yeah, and that's smaller weights though. That's yeah. like I'm not gonna make 105. Hisei yeah. Watanabe, Adam Weight. Yeah, Hisei Watanabe again. Like I said, I just I loved watching her drop people. Just this tiny woman in the leopard print, and she just touches people and they collapse. It was fantastic. That is, uh, I got I got to look her up. I'm, oh yeah, I'm maybe gonna show you after this. Yeah, let's let's look it up for sure. Yes. Um, are most of your opponents coming from? You know, the local like DMV area? Yes, I think that uh, the last girl I fought was from Virginia. So as far as there like not being a lot of people, I was slated to be on one card. And then they're like, okay, well, if this was a men's fight, we'd tell you, yes, definitely get ready. We can we can find someone for you, no problem. But, you know, given that you are very obviously not, you know, we're not sure if we're going to be able to find anybody. So never mind. And one of my amateur fights, I ended up filling in on like, uh, I found out on Wednesday and the fight was on Saturday. Yeah. So I got down to um, West Virginia and I'm not going to mention the name of the promotion because they didn't give me the belt I won. Oh, I'm very cheesed about that, man. That's gotta be, I won a belt. I won their, their Muay Thai belt with this one fight, which Uh 
seems odd to me. It seems like there should be a tournament bracket and you have to fight more than one time to right. like. Did the other girl the have the belt? No. Neither of us had the belt. It's just like, okay, you two are fighting for this belt now. Maybe they were uh, establishing the the division or something like that. I mean, it could have been, but if you want to do that, then you got to have the belt. The belt. <laughs> they had one belt that they used throughout the entire night. There were supposed to be like two, three people in front of me, but they all dropped out for whatever reason, like on the night of the fight because they didn't make weight or their opponent didn't show up or something. So we ended up being the first fight of the night and I won that. Yeah, so they give me the belt. I get to hold it up in the center of the ring. I start leaving with it, and the guy's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. We need that back. We're going to be using that throughout the night. I ordered the belts. They're being made here. Uh, They're going to be shipped to you. It's like, okay, well, I've never believed you. You do not seem trustworthy at all. And I never got it. It was the home of Patsy Cline. And I was upset because I didn't get time to visit her house. I don't even know who Patsy Cline is, so. Oh, um, a country singer from a while back. Oh, okay. Well, we can look at that later, too. Okay. Um, we got a list of things now. Yeah. I gotta, I'm going to forget. we got to start writing them down. <laughs> we got Hisei Watanabe, Patsy Cline, and I remember that I was supposed to get to recommend something to you. Yeah, you can recommend something. Thank you. Yeah. So, like, I guess because you're fighting for, like, smaller promotions mm-hmm. and things like that, like, what's that like? Because, like, I think with... With something like the UFC, everything is very transparent. Like we can see like through people that talk, like all the fighters are very vocal about their situation. You know, Dana White will talk, Joe Rogan will talk. So we have, you know, some sort of transparency with with big organizations like that. But for smaller regional, you know, promotions, what's that like? Like dealing with them? Is it is it just you? Do you have like an agent or how do they contact you? What I'm pretty small fries. There's no real agent or, or anything like that. I'll communicate with people through my gym, like the guy who owns my gym, Team Lloyd Irvin. So Lloyd Irvin. As far as dealing with smaller organizations, it's more, you know, I had to get an MMA ID card for Maryland, Mm. um, speak with the commissioner uh, to get, you know, the signed MMA ID card. Something very wrong with their camera there. I came out like a like a cherry tomato, like <laughs> like Violet from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but the reverse of the spectrum. <laughs> and I looked at it on the on the camera that she had taken. So I think the problem is with their printer, but it was not a good picture. <laughs> not very flattering. Oh no. Oh no, it was not. <laughs> but no one has to see that, so it's it's okay. But um yeah, so I got the MMA ID card. The commissioner called my coach to say hey, what's the deal? This person hasn't had any MMA fights. Just want to make sure this is on the level. And so they talked through it or whatever. And they were okay with it because I'd done you know, Muay Thai fights and other things previously. So there's no like, because I, I talked to a pro wrestler mm-hmm. and sometimes... There's no kayfabe. Yeah, there's no kayfabe. Um, well, like with, with local promotions, there is that level of kind of, am I going to get burned? You know, is this going to be, is this all on the up and up? You've never run into anything like that? Well, not with Shogun, with the one fight I've had with them. They've been very professional as far as like, right. okay, here's what you need to do. Sell this, do this, come here, do that. So that's been very upfront. As far as like uh, the other thing where I didn't get the belt oh, yeah. I won. Well, yeah. <laughs> not that I'm sour about that. <laughs> I honestly don't know where I would put it. I don't know what to do with trophies and like medals and things after people give them to me. I sort of just like chuck them all in one spot. Uh-huh. Like the winning is great. And right. it's nice to have like a memento of that, but it's not like I have a dedicated like, area or, or anything for him. Wear it around, man. That's what I would do. Yeah. Going back, um, are you going to compete in Muay Thai again or is it all MMA from here on out? I'd say that it's going to be all MMA from here on out, mm. but basically it's going to be whatever my coaches say. If they say, hey, we need you to do this Muay Thai fight, then I will do that. If they say hey, you need to go do this MMA thing, then I will do that. So your coach is pretty much your point person. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever they say. Yeah, I guess that's good for, for a student, right? Exactly. Um, what are some of your career highlights? Because, I mean, you're, you're new to MMA. Mm-hmm. You're an up-and-coming fighter, but, you know, you've, you've had a bunch of fights. What are some of the things that you look back upon and you're like, all this grind, the weight cutting, the training, all this stuff has made it worth it? Um, I got a Peruvian necktie on someone in a, in a Naga competition. Uh So that was pretty neat. In one of the competitions at the WKAs leading up to that, uh, I got a TKO. So that was also very neat. And that's kickboxing, right? Yeah. A kickboxing, uh, TKO. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, 
I got to go to Thailand. So I was going with the WKA national team for the USA. And since I had won the WKAs for my division, they're like, hey, do you want to go represent the US in Thailand? Mm -hmm. Like, well, okay, yes. So I, I had to pay for my ticket and everything to get over there. And everyone else was there with somebody. Like they had brought like a girlfriend or a coach or something. And uh -huh. I was just sort of it's just uh, it's just me here. WK is the World Kickboxing Association? Yes, it is. This was the first kickboxing they'd done in Thailand, because Thailand is obviously more Muay Thai-oriented. Right, right. So they were trying to get that going over there. So this was the inaugural one of that. It mm -hmm. was actually the 52nd International Thai Martial Arts Games and Sports Festival. Wow, yeah, that's a mouthful. It's a very long name, so that's why it took me a second to remember it. So you got to fight in Thailand? Yes, I did. How was that? Oh, uh, that was fun. There were 52 countries represented. Wow. I got to fight, like, two of those countries, but, you know, I've got pictures from afterwards where mm -hmm. I get to, to pose with the flag, and I wanted to get pictures with more people with their flags. Uh -huh. I got a picture with the guy with the Kazakhstan flag. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What's the competition like globally? Well, globally, I'd say that it varies by the division you're in and sort of the, the discipline. So they had a lot of different disciplines over there. So they had, like, Muay Thai that people were competing in. There was K1. There was Glory. Mm -hmm. So I competed in both K1 and Glory because I don't want to go all the way to Thailand and fight once. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, I won in both of those, but I got to fight, I think, um, three times. So it was just one fight for the one division because it was just me and this one other person. So we fought for first and second. So it's a good thing I signed up for two. <laughs> right, right, right. But one thing that wasn't so great about that is that I signed up for the 125 division and they didn't have enough people. So they ended up combining it. Oh, no. So I lost like eight more pounds than I needed to lose, which you don't want to hear. I never heard it. It's more just like that was written on the board. It was uh -huh. never formally announced. But I was like, okay, well, this is a 16-hour flight and then another six-hour flight after that. And there was food on the on the first flight, on the Qatar Airways flight, where I got to see Coco and a bunch of other movies. Just right. like, well, I couldn't sleep and also I couldn't eat anything. Right. So you got to distract yourself kind of. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, it's like, cool, you could have told me I could have. Could have eaten some. Oh, my gosh. So they combined. So you had to fight up. We all ended up being like around the same size anyway. Okay. And the way that this was done wasn't it wasn't a way in. And then the next day you fight thing. It was more like a tournament style. So you came there. And then, you know, the morning after we got there, because we got there at night. So the next morning is when we had to weigh in, which I did. And then I didn't end up fighting until a few days after that. So there was a breakfast buffet that I used to fuel up the entire time. <laughs> it's like, well, this is a buffet. I'm just going to keep circling through this. Did you get to train at like any of the famous uh, gyms in Thailand? I didn't get to train at any of the famous ones, unfortunately, because uh -huh. we were in Bangkok. And Bangkok okay. is huge. It is enormous. Uh, I think some other people did, but I ended up more after my fights were done hanging out with a friend of my mom's from work. Mm -hmm. So this was someone that my mom had hired like 15 years ago at her job. And then she left and went back to Thailand and Whoa. still remembered my mom. She's like, yeah, your mom hired me. Definitely. You can come here. I'll show you around. That's crazy. And she was so nice and showed me around and took me out to all like the night markets and everything. Nice. Bought me food, which was fantastic. It was so good. Ah, <sighs> delicious. Like the, the mango sticky rice. These were the best mangoes that I have ever eaten. Wow. The most expensive thing is the flight over. And then once you get there, like one American dollar is 33 baht. So that you know, helps. What, how, what can you buy with 33 baht? Candy. <laughs> <laughs> like I think you can get pants or something for 200 baht. Oh, okay. Well, okay. you know, like the loose flowy fisherman's pants yeah, yeah, sort yeah, yeah, of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. Which I have two pairs of, which have little elephants all over them. You so. know what's crazy? My brother has those elephant pants, and then my wife also has those elephant pants. She she got them from Singapore. And they're so comfy. Yeah. I don't have any, but maybe one day I can dream. Um, we kind of touched on this uh, earlier, but like, do you kind of look up to a fighter? Or do you, do you have like a favorite fighter, and you kind of like, man, I wish I could fight like them, or like, I'm going to become like them, or... Roy Jones Jr. and Roberto Duran. Just as far boxers. As, no, no, I've also, I was going to expand. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Roy Jones Jr. is great because he's one of my favorite yes, fighters too. so him in the 90s mm. and, you know, Roberto Duran, I'd say in like 70s, 80s. When he fought Irish Mickey Ward. Yes. Yeah. Or like the first Sugar Ray fight. Because mm. the defense in that, you can see him not getting hit for like a bunch of times and just yeah. the counters is very impressive. And obviously, Andre Ward and yeah. Terrence Crawford. 
but that's like four boxers now, so yeah. I'm going to switch to a different switch, discipline. Switch it up, switch it up. Well, you mentioned Stylebender, and... I love him. Yes, he just seems very relaxed in there, like he's having a great time, so... He's the second, said, coming, second coming of, of Anderson, Anderson Silva. Yeah. yeah, I told you, I, I eavesdropped on you yeah. on the last podcast. <laughs> I was like, all right, I need, to, need we, to make sure I can seem approachable. Let me just study this. That's a normal <laughs> thing people do. You got to You got to do your research. Yeah, so those two are... Obviously, very good and up on my list. Mm. Um, like Chris Cyborg, I really like the way that she's improved from more of a Anderle Silva style to more more disciplined and technical. Because she's yeah. been working with like the high level boxers, like uh, like Shields and other people. I say Watanabe, I'd, I'd also list as one of the. <laughs> I keep mentioning her, but it's just so cool watching yeah. this tiny one hundred and five pound woman knock people just straight out, just right. straight lights out, and. Obviously, Ronda Rousey's judo was was incredible to see. That was like a game changer for that that whole women's division, that bantamweight division. Definitely, I mean, you could definitely see the the division developing. So she's done a lot for for that. Um, she's a pro wrestler now. Yeah, I mean, still making bank, so it's working out. Yeah, she's probably making more money pro wrestling than fighting for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's scripted and everything, and you still get hurt because those yeah. stunts they do. Like, yeah. I haven't actually watched. Pro wrestling, to be honest with you, I know some of the names like The Undertaker and oh, The Rock and uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And apparently, I did something in training once that is called a Boston Crab to somebody. Oh yeah, Boston I just sat crab. on I just sat on someone's back and like yeah. I was like, you know what, this this seems like it work. I'm gonna pull your leg up. <laughs> so I did that, which is apparently a thing. So that's how I learned about that. The crazy thing is that that actually happened in a real MMA fight, and the guy tapped to a Boston Crab. So like all the all the um, pro wrestling fans are like. What is going on? Like it actually <laughs> happened. Yeah, like I asked the girl, wait, is this is this working? Or you just you just want me to stop sitting on you? What is this? She's like, no, my spine. But yeah, um, yeah, R- Ronda Rousey really I know I know Gina Carano and Cyborg had their thing and they they were like kind of like the first ones in um they were in uh strike force, remember? Yeah, strike the force? trailblazers. Yeah, but Rhonda really came in and you know, she had the look, she had like that, that whole scowl and her whole attitude yeah. really, I think. It set the tone. It got things going. Yeah. So it was more of the Dana White, well, I'm going to let women in now yeah. sort of thing. I wonder if he enjoyed eating crow on that statement, because I remember him saying it was like a TMZ kind of a thing. And they yes, were like, I'm sure he's wiping away his tears yeah, with, with the many millions thousands of dollars. <laughs> let me just use a, I'll use a small bill, a hundred this time. <laughs> um, Oh, uh, Samart for Muay Thai. Samart is one of my favorites. Mm. What about uh, Buakau? Buakau, also very good, yeah. but he's more of a, a Muay Cow, sort of a pressure fighter, I'd mm. say. And Samart is more of a Muay Femur. So he's more of the technician. So he'll be backing away and still knock you out or mm. he'll set you up for traps sort of thing. And it's just that level of being able to anticipate and get people to do what you want them to do to fall into your punches that I think, oh, that's fantastic. Right. I want to do that. Do you find yourself like leaning towards more of the, the, the striking as opposed to the grappling or vice versa? Well, when I got into this and when I said, hey, I, I want to I wanna be a pro fighter, what should I do? I started doing both. So I was doing both jiu-jitsu and striking. And then the guy at the gym I was at at the time said, hey, you, you need to pick one and get really good at that. You got to have a specialty. Like you can't... Mm-hmm. You're not a kid. You can't get good at both at the same level, right. you know, like they're doing. So you need to, you know, get one, get your specialty, and then build up on that. So I started doing more of the striking stuff. Now, again, I'm not actually good enough to have a specialty, but I have been trying to focus on getting more well-rounded in all of the areas. So, Do you like striking better? I do like striking. All fights start with striking. So if I can right. just stop takedowns, then fantastic. But it's not like it's a problem if things go to the ground. So have you ever encountered any like serious injuries so as far as like injuries that happened in a fight no totally fine as far as injuries that happened when getting ready for a fight or just standard training broken left arm um broke my right toe the left arm was sort of in a it was in sparring and we had some people coming down from i think boston or some some school up on the northeast seaboard and they had one girl who was like six three and 170 pounds whoa like well, here's the other girl. So they only had the one girl. Yeah. And I was, of course, the only other girl. So <laughs> right, I was like, right. well, you know, just uh, just go to it. Mm-hmm. 
And if you don't block a kick correctly, even if it is a low, you know, a slow, light kick, if you block it with like your arm out, then apparently your arm snaps like a twig. Oh my gosh. And having never broken any bones prior to that point, I did not know it was broken. So, you know, she kicks my arm and then it just sort of flops ragdoll style to the ground. And I'm, oh my I like look at it and it's like, huh. You can move it? Well, I like started to to bend my arm and bring it up. I was like, well, that's not working great. So oh, I what? took my other hand and I grabbed it and I was like, okay, well, let's keep going. I didn't know it was broken. Uh-huh. I just thought it was like bruised or something. She's like, right. she said, are you sure? And then my arm like flopped down again after I'd just gotten it back up. I was like, she said, maybe, maybe we're done. I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Little help, please. Oh my so God. then I had her help like me take take off the glove mm-hmm. and I went into the room to to change. So then I put on like my my jacket afterwards and I stayed there for the remainder of the time that they were there for like another 45 minutes because oh I didn't want to seem like a sour sport yeah, yeah, yeah. and just like storm out or anything. Sure. And to this day, she just, she still does not know that she broke my arm, by the way, because afterwards she said, oh, is your wrist OK? I was like, yes, my wrist is fine. Yeah, I did not expand on it. And you'd be like, <laughs> yes, my wrist is fine, but did not expand on that. But. So I took a picture with everyone, and then I was like, okay, well, I should probably uh, drive myself to an urgent care. So I one-arm drive myself to the urgent care, and I get in there, and they say, "Uh, yeah, our x-ray machine is broken, but you should probably go for an x-ray. We're going to print out these MapQuest directions for you. Here is a different urgent care. You should go here. And this was like after they'd kept me waiting for a while and said, hey, what's going on? I was like... Can't I, I can't really move my arm. I got kicked in it. I think it's bruised or something. I can't, I can't move it. And they're like, yeah, uh, x-ray machine is broken. You should go to a different urgent care. Uh-huh. And so they print me out the MapQuest directions. And so I've got the MapQuest with my one working hand and I'm driving out to that. And I overshot it by a little bit because it was... Um, one of those things where you have to turn into the lot. And if you miss it, then the other lot doesn't connect to it. Like all the worst things are happening. Yes. So I think I like parked in the lot above and then walked down this gravel embankment. Cause I was like, there's no way for me to get back. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, a one yeah. lane highway. I gotcha. am just going to park up here and I will walk down. So I did that. Uh, they kept me waiting for a while at this other one, obviously. And the nurse or the, the doctor there, lady, was having a bad day. I was like, oh, well, this is a very trying time for yeah. you. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you for sharing your lunch with me because she had like some Jamaican jerk chicken wings. I was like, oh, this is nice. We're going to get through this together. Don't right. you worry. Right, right, right. And then she takes the x-ray and she's like, oh, yeah, your arm is definitely broken. I was like, okay, how, how are you doing though? Are you all right? Oh, my gosh. So it was like a nightstick fracture of the ulna. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they didn't have like a cast or anything. It's like, okay, well, do you want to buy this canvas cast? Like a little sling thing for me right. to put my arm in? Right. It's like, I guess. It's like, you should see an orthopedist because broken. It's like, okay, well, great. Now I got to find an orthopedist because this all happened on Sunday. Everything is closed and I couldn't find an orthopedist until Tuesday. So there's just me laying down with my arm like this on myself, trying not to move oh. or anything. Because if you cough and like your arm jiggles, it's like, Bone, man. So I find an orthopedist, and he's a buffoon. Let's say that you're a doctor, a bone doctor specifically, and Uh I come into you and I say, "Hey, my arm is broken. Here is the X-ray. I've never had a broken bone before. How would you handle that as the doctor? What would your move be? Let's fix it. I guess I don't know. Would you maybe ask me? Oh, so do you want a cast? Is that what he asked? Yes. He literally, he's like, oh, do you want a cast? It's like, like, you're the doctor. Probably you should tell me if I need a cast or not. Yes. Like my bone is broken. Do you think I should have a cast? Do I need a cast? I've never had a cast before. Please let me know what's going on. And so he ends up putting on the cast, which I had to specifically ask for because my bone is broken. Right, right. And then he's like, afterwards, he tells me, oh, and by the way, you can't get this wet. It's like why would you not tell me that beforehand? And right. I find out like weeks later from someone else who's had broken bones before, you can pay $50 extra for a waterproof cast, which I obviously would have done <laughs> instead of like wrapping my arm weirdly in a trash bag every time I want to try and shower. Ah, uh, so yeah. everybody wants to be a fighter. They don't know. And the other time that I broke my toe, I was kicking at this guy and he like moved backwards funny and he turned his knee out. So I ended up kicking his knee with my toe, mm-hmm. which broke and also twisted out of place. Oh. So 
I had to... Did you go back to the same doctor? I went to a different doctor who was, di- <laughs> who was not great in a different way, which I can expound on. I have not had great luck with orthopedists. I feel like, I feel like that's something that like, an MMA team should have a connection with, like a specific doctor that's good. This is all amateur level, so it's more like, right. oh, I'm broken. I need to go to the emergency yeah, room. Emergency room. This shouldn't be pointing this way. And then they like shot my toe full of Novocaine, you know, after like hours of waiting and twisted it back into place. And he's like, oh yeah, don't kick me. And so like, I'm a giant baby. So he right. said, don't kick me. So I like covered my eyes and I'm doing Lamaze breathing. Uh-huh. And, going, <laughs> and he's like, don't hyperventilate. I'm like, you told me not to kick you. You get one. You get one. <laughs> You're going to kick or I'm going to hyperventilate either or you can't have both. Exactly. You don't want me to kick you. This is me not kicking you. Let me do this. Right, right. And so, like, he twists it back into place because it was twisted out. And he said, okay, I've twisted it most of the way back into place. I'm like, most? Most of the way? What? No, finish. Right, right. And he said, no, I want to leave some for the orthopedist in case, you know, it needs to be reset a certain way. Oh, my God. So I found a different orthopedist because after Mr. Hey, do you want to cast? I I don't want to go back to that guy. Well, you could have just told him, this time I want to cast, like, up front. (laughs) Yeah, how are you going to put a cast on a big toe? Yeah, sure. Like, it would have been better if it was a garbage toe. Like like the middle one or something where it's like, oh, well, all right, whatever. Just Garbage. tape it tape it to the next one. It's fine. Garbage toe is an awesome st- Like you awesome. use the big toe for balance right, and right, walking. Right. Exactly. It's like the only one I need yeah. except for the pinky toe, which also really hurts if you wang it into something. Yeah. But I think those are vestigial and we're going to evolve those away. I'm not, not sure. Pinky toe? Yeah. I know. I knew a guy that didn't have a nail on his pinky toe. Hmm. That's neither here nor there. And I mean, it can keep falling off. You keep hurting it yeah i guess so yeah second orthopedist also not great because i kept going in there had to pay for one of those expensive boots so Mm -hmm. i could walk around and then like one of the x-ray sessions the x-ray technician is like oh yeah this is this is broken and this was like after i'd been there for a while and i went into the doctor he's like all right you're good it's it's all healed it's as good as it's gonna get so like i had one person telling me yeah broken and the other the doctor saying good to go you're good so, you know, I would just like a consistent medical opinion, yeah. maybe. <laughs> That's crazy. So those are my two broken bone stories. But no, no major injuries in a fight. That's no, good luck. It's, uh, it's, all, it's all been... Yeah, knock on wood. Sparring. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess that happens a lot. I mean, you hear even in the UFC and the top levels, guys pulling out because they get injured in, in sparring. Like Luke Rockhold is the king of that. I was going to say Cain Velasquez. Oh, yeah. Also Cain. Man, he's been out for so long. Yeah, I don't know if he's coming back after like this long of a, of a layoff. Yeah, I mean, and because his, you know, his best buddy DC is heavyweight champ, too. Well, if they're going to bring Brock Lesnar back in, then yeah. it might as well be against Cain. Yeah, that's... He was actually training at the WWE Performance Center for a little bit, but I think that was just like a... Promotional thing? Yeah, maybe. Um... Yeah, man. We've been talking for a minute. Is there is there anything else that you want to say? Yeah. You said I got to recommend stuff. Yeah, the time can... has come. Yes. Recommend it. All right. So movie-wise, I don't know if you've seen Tony Jaa movies. Yes? All right. So have you seen Jija Yanin movies? No. Okay. Because she's out of like the same movie studio. So it's just like a lady doing all of the Tony Jaa martial arts stuff. What? So two movies that I'd recommend from uh-huh. her are Chocolate and... Wait, uh, that sounds so familiar. Rising Phoenix. You probably heard of it because terrible action movie plot. Like, uh-huh. I cannot emphasize enough that the plots are bad. I don't care about the plot if Good, it's Tony Jaa. Good, because you're not, you know, yeah. I get that. There's no Tony Jaa in these movies, but yeah. it's like this tiny uh, Taekwondo champ uh-huh. uh, Thai lady doing all of this Muay Thai stuff, and it's That's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, I'll watch that. And yeah. Rising Phoenix. Mm-hmm. This was a great conversation, man. If people want to find out more about you, where can they reach you? Well, I've got an Instagram, Alana, A-L-A-N-N-A underscore O-S, mm-hmm. which is where you reached me. And I will say I'm not super great at the social media in that I don't know why anyone would care uh, what I'm doing. Dude, you are a pro fighter. People want to know. This is how you This is how you reach reach the yes, people. Yes, other people have like uh, like videos of themselves working out. I'm yeah. like I'm I'm not going to set up a tripod or something. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go. But uh, that's where I have my social media. Anything else to say? Did you want to? Well, like I said, uh, my teammate Sadiq Yusuf is fighting at super. Yes, yeah, super, super Sadiq Yusuf. Yusuf. He's fighting at the. Uh, 
at UFC Australia. That's it. And Adelaide. So he's fighting there tonight. Um, Like in his contender fight, he was written off as the underdog. Mm. And I was going to maybe do my first betting. But now I'm not because apparently they've realized how good he is. So So good luck to him. Um, Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But anyways, um, this was a great conversation. Hopefully we see you fight in the upcoming year. And nothing but the best. Alana Olive-Smith, thank you so much for coming in. Elijah Kang, thank you for having me. And there you have it. The 12th episode of the Lucha Lounge podcast is in the books. I had a great time talking to Alana. And it was awesome to get a pro fighter's opinion and perspective on all things MMA. If you want to check her out and see what she's up to, you can find her on Instagram at Alana underscore OS. That's A-L-A-N-N-A underscore OS. And as usual, thank you so much for listening. I have a bunch of exciting guests lined up in the upcoming months, so please subscribe and uh, continue listening. I guess that's it. See you next time. Bye. Bye.